because, because what, what is bad about accountability? And then the question, what is the responsibility of local church leadership in assuring members that their giving goes for the true needs of the church? So let's, let's start here with this number one, accountability in the use of tithes and offerings. Um, all of us have, have heard the news stories and uh, the media seems to get, a, get special glee. Uh, and I'm not sure that, that they give special treatment to religious leaders who seem to be in, in some way uh, inconsistent. Uh, but we have, because, you know, if you're not a religious leader and something's inconsistent, they will exploit it to high heaven. So I'm not sure that our paranoia there is uh, anything but paranoia. Uh, you know, sometimes you're paranoid and sometimes you're actually persecuted. It's real important to know the difference. But there are a lot of news stories through the course of, a, a, of a, any given decade of religious leaders having kind of a lavish lifestyle. And uh, uh, let me say this about that going in. I, I disapprove of such a lavish lifestyle if it is from the contributions of the people of God. A lot of these people work really, really hard, and they produce materials such as books and CDs, and they, they are workaholics, and sometimes those things are profitable enough that they can look pretty rich. I know a guy that I have profound respect for, and he is now one of the rich guys, um, and uh, he wrote a book that became a national bestseller, and he had founded a church and had been there for over 20 years. And as this money began to come in from the sale of this book, he just repaid his salary to the last penny for all those years. And, uh, and, and he's still rich. So if they jump on him, then I'm going to feel paranoid. I'm, you know, but, um, and everybody jumps on him. If you, if you try to get out front and do something for God, you will take shots. There are websites that are dedicated to hassling people. And I just love it. It just makes me want to help and pat people on the head or do something with their head. Anyway, and um, here, here is what the Scripture says about this in, in dealing with how those who receive monies from the people of God need to act. Second Corinthians 8 says, we want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift. Now, this doesn't happen to be tithe in this setting. This is a relief offering for Christians in uh, another country, uh, gathering this from the, G the Gentiles and taking it to the part of the world that was mostly Jewish. We won't avoid any criticism in the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right. Not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. And you see both things there. You see God is watching me in the eyes of the Lord. And you need to be watching eyes of men. And we are going to a lot of trouble, he says, to, to stay away from this business of being uh, in any way worthy of criticism. Now, you can't stop criticism. But you can, it can be just really, truly hollow uh, because of the way you actually handle things. In this light, accountability is the key. In a local church, which is what we're concerned with here, and it's about all the influence. I have a little, little bit of influence on rare occasions outside this congregation, but mostly my influence is here. And this is what we're about. 
We need accountability. We need a properly functioning board. We have that here. We need tight financial management of offerings. And that's, that's two-sided. That means very carefully uh, administer the way the money is actually spent. But there's also, and our auditors just, well, I started to say drive us crazy, but is that, is that a, John, John agreed, they drive us crazy because they want to know that from the time that basket passes in front of you, that it is safe. So we have, we have uh, policies and procedures in place that when this money works its way, we hope money, we hope you put something in it, okay? Please, no. Uh, when it works its way to the back of the room, it's gathered up in a, in a particular way, it is with at least two people carried to where it's going to be counted by at least two people. No one is ever alone with the money. And then everybody signed, that's in the room signs off on the, the register tape. And then it's put in a, it just goes on. They just drive us nuts. That's the reason John agreed. I mean, and if, if they see any kind of weakness, they holler at us. Last year, now, and we have to do what is called a fraud audit. Is that what that's called? Or something like that. So the church board has to have a formal meeting where it is, and records are kept, where we are asked, do you know any place where there might be any kind of loosey-goosey stuff, any slipshod business in handling the money? That has to be conducted for the board. Now, last year, we talked about that in the staff. We also have to do it in, this, in the pastoral team. And we talked about that, and I asked that question, but we didn't take notes and sign it. So I had to kind of give them an affidavit that indeed we had done this, and we'd covered this material, and we hadn't found anything that we thought was a soft spot as far as keeping the money safe. Now, to avoid criticism, and the next time, you know, the next time a huge... uh, corporation goes down and fraud is just evident everywhere, the laws will change and it'll get worse. Pray that that won't happen. But it's, it's because of what has happened in the world. These laws for our auditors, our CPA firm, these laws just are so excruciatingly uh, tight. And of course, we get to pay the bill for that extra work. But uh, that's that's avoiding criticism and then an annual audit is is the other way that i could find that we need to avoid criticism now the annual audit costs us thousands of dollars it's god's money that goes to a cpa firm i think they richly earn it i think they (laughs) i don't think they're overcharging us it's just like couldn't we just be honest and uh, save that money well, I am, but I'm not sure about you, see. So we'll go ahead and spend that money. And as a matter of fact, it's a point of pride in me. I hope it's not sinful pride. Because I am proud of the fact that we can account for every penny you give. You may not like where we spend it, but we can tell you where we spent it. And that is wonderful. So that keeps us from, from this kind of criticism that Paul 
uh, was seeking to avoid in that passage. Let me, uh, let me say something about that with the ministries that you may give to that's outside the church. That kind of accountability is not unreasonable anywhere you put a dollar. Think it through, folks. Get a grip. If we don't have accountability, how do you know they're doing what they say? And uh, somewhere in this, in this uh, series, I needed to make this statement, so here it comes. When church leadership takes an action or makes a decision a member does not like, withholding tithes is a dangerous way to protest. Did you get that? I can reread it. I just read it word for word. Number two. Let's talk for a moment about the gift of giving. We, we dealt with this not that long ago in the motivational gifts, and we called it the giver or the gift of giving. Romans 12, 8, in the middle of the verse is this line. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. And so it is contributing to the needs of, the other, uh, needs of others. And so we're calling this person the giver. And what the, the description of this particular motivational gift is special sharing of material assistance. The ability to handle and give assets. The motivation to see the needs of the work of God in the ministry of others go forward and succeed. It meets financial and material needs of the kingdom of God. You might hear a giver saying... God wants us to have sufficient assets to make sure the job gets done and we don't fail his work. That's just the way they think. It's they, they love to give. Some of you, when it's offering time, you know, kind of a stab goes through you and you hate that and they're going to blah, 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 whatever, whatever you're saying to yourself. You're not, probably not one of these. But we have them. I'm, I'm one of these. That's not my primary gift. But, but it's, it's like, okay, uh, if I think I'm going to be manipulated, I resist manipulation like crazy. But if I think it's where God wants me to give, it is a joy. It is fun. And, and the scripture, um, God loves a cheerful giver, I don't think is given basically to givers because they like it. I, I write out that, that check. I don't write many checks anymore. Most everything's done online. But, but to Crown Point Church, I write a check more than once a month. And I look at that and I say, oh my goodness, look what you have enabled us to give. And it is a blast to write out this chunk to God's kingdom. It's just fun. And of course, I have all the safety of, of the accountability of where it's going. and over, I'm all safe there. So that's the way that feels. And if you don't have that, it's okay. You need to, you need to work on giving cheerfully. Uh, givers need to work on giving generously, the scripture says. Let him give generously is uh, the qualification there when that, need is, when that gift is listed in Romans 12. So this person gives freely of money, possessions, time, energy, and love to others. 
This person loves to give quietly without others knowing about it. This person wants to feel a part of the work to which he is contributing. He intercedes for the work or person to which he is contributing. And uh, there are a lot of female givers. The masculine uh, pronoun here is generic girls. This person is delighted when the gift is an answer to specific prayer. Just if, if we give something and it just meets somebody's need that they've been talking to the Lord about it, just kind of like, you know, it's just a natural high. This person desires to give only high quality or handmade gifts. As a matter of fact, one of the, one of the marks of a giver is not only that they like to give quality, but if they're going to buy something, to them it looks cheaper to pay more going in and it lasts twice as long or however much longer. Quality. They, this person is motivated to give as the Holy Spirit leads and views hospitality as an opportunity to give. This person gives to support and bless others or to advance a ministry. This person usually has the ability to handle their own finances with wisdom and frugality, being content with basic necessities. An illustration of that is my dad, who happens to be a giver, among other things, and um, when he and mom went into an assisted living thing, um, they, they were having a special on the rates. And so they, they, had, they got this two-bedroom apartment. It's really nice. It's quite adequate. And, uh, and then when mom died, we just assumed dad would go to, to a one-bedroom. And knowing him, he would be satisfied with the studio. Well... He went to get a one-bedroom, and it was going to cost more than what he was paying because they got in at that certain level, and that's the way everything, the rates. So he still has this really nice apartment, which is kind of interesting that, that the Lord would do this. But the point is, he doesn't require space. He, he doesn't need this big, opulent space, just kind of the basic necessities. And uh, that, that's been an interesting thing all through the years. If he's giving... Or if he's buying something, it's probably going to be quality. But opulence is not a part of the deal in his mind. That's, that's one of the ways you see that. This person is quick to volunteer to help where a need is seen as in, in the giving thing. This person dis, depends, if they're married, on their spouse's counsel to confirm the amount of the gift. It's so interesting how that just plays out in our lives. Uh, the, the life of Eunice and me and in other givers that I know of, you'll see them turn to their spouse and it's a little game. What do you think we should give? And they know what's on their heart. And it's just, it's just cool because the Holy Spirit is so faithful. And um, they have a strong belief in tithing and in giving generously. In addition to the tithe, they have a keen ability to discern wise investments in order to have mo more money available to give away. They have a desire to use giving as a way to motiv motivate others to give. I remember uh, one of our givers, oh, 100 years ago, uh, the church was going through kind of a hard time. And uh, this giver offered to give so-and-so, and it was kind of like it was a two-point thrust in his mind. He, 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 it was just... I'm going to give, would you give? And then it was almost like a matching thing. And he wasn't rich enough to do a matching thing. But it was that motivation to give, to help others 
so that they can get in on this because givers know that God is going to take care of. You say, well, that's just giving to get. No, there's a world of difference. If you love the kingdom of God and, and love to give to it, you know, if you believe the scripture, that you're going to be blessed. You know that. And so get off that business of accusing a giver that they're just giving so they can receive from God. They know they will, but the motivation is absolutely elsewhere. And um, let me tell you something about giving to get. If that is actually where you are, and I'm not sure I've ever met anyone like that. I know that the name it, claim it people get accused of that, and it may be true about them. I don't know. I've not been able to study one up close enough to know that. But the fact is, every place in the Scripture where giving is taught, the blessing of God following that is taught. So why wouldn't you expect God's Word? You, you, you believe it enough to give, you don't think, but you don't think the rest of it's true. You see what I'm saying? We get a little bit edgy with each other. We need to lighten up. Uh, we like you a lot better when you just kind of lighten up. You'll like you better when you just kind of lighten up. Try it. Number three, it's not, it's not uh, in the PowerPoint, but in, as, as I was thinking about how I want to wrap up this management thing, Joe Christian, Bill Newby, manager, and then there's all this stuff that comes to me, all these relationships, all these opportunities, uh, and all these problems. Did you ever have a problem, a pain, just come up and kick you right where you sit? And I'm not talking about kicking your chair either. Just hurt. Just broken hearted. That stuff happens in this life. Do you know that you are a steward of how you manage that? When these heartbreaks come and you didn't have anything to do with it, and it perhaps it's a little, little more easily managed by us if we think, well, you know, if I hadn't done this and so, this wouldn't have happened, so you're sort of guilty, so it kind of feels like feels good, you know, that's our legalism, kind of feels good because I'm paying because I did this bad. But man, there, there are things that come to you that you had nothing to do with it. They just land in your soft spot, wherever it hurts, hit you right in the solar plexus, just no breath for a while. You're trying to survive. You're trying to keep from falling over in the floor. What are you going to do with that? There was an era where around the study area of this church, if something was really stressful, if something was really difficult, uh, I might be heard saying, this is a test. How are we going to respond to this? We feel like going and killing somebody or just maiming them or maybe only maligning them. You know, whatever. That's the way we feel. Can't help how you feel. You can't help what you do. By the way, you need to listen online to the sermon from this last Wednesday night. It was really great. And I even preached it. But uh, 
At least it was worth hearing. Let me put it that way. I don't know how great it was, but it was, it was true. And there was, a, there was a fact in there that the Holy Spirit just kind of gave by revelation. is just pow that tied it together. And, and it's the point that it's, it's related to the point, this, this number three. When we are handed as a part of our management responsibilities, all of this pain, all of these relationships, we can do everything from taking up somebody's offense, if it's that kind of conflict, to uh, being uh, murderous in our response over here, you know, and uh, I've, I've heard myself offering to, you know, I think I'll just go kill them. Get me out of my misery. <laughs> you know, I don't know whether they're in misery or not, but I am, and I'm just going to take care of them. And, uh, of course, that would then kind of structure my life thereafter. Um, so I wouldn't have a lot of decisions to make in certain areas. But uh, you hear what I'm saying? Now, I'm trying to be cutesy, but this is a big deal because it happens to us. Your, your parent will get sick and be dead before you knew it, and you weren't ready to give them up. Or your child could die. We have people sitting among us who have lost a child. I don't know how you do that. How do you manage that? We have, we have gals among us who have had multiple miscarriages when they so wanted a baby in that family. I don't know how you manage that. But it has to be managed. And if you don't manage it, it'll manage you. And so when it's this Joe Christian thing, manager, God's resources, I know that, that some of this stuff that comes to us, I do not believe in any way, is from the hand of God in a causal sense. He didn't do it. He did not. If your theology says he does it all, you're nuts. Read the book again. We create so much of that ourselves. We are partners in the management See, this whole management thing is a farce if God creates everything. Hello? Uh, you Calvinists need to get a life. You're just so wrong. It hurts. I'm sorry. I, I, I'd love to be inclusive. I'd love to be supportive, but I'm not. And it's, it is so hard to manage that stuff all the way through life. And I hear us say... God's in control. I hear that among us regularly. Well, he's in control of a lot of stuff. He is in control of you. If you will submit to him and ask for his help, man, oh man, you are in for a good experience. But if you think that he is micromanaging every detail, like he caused a, an earthquake uh, out in the ocean off, off uh, Japan's major island, and then the incredible destruction and loss of life. If you think it's a, God says, <laughs> you got a problem. You need to read the book again. It's not his will that any should perish, but all come to repentance. That's the heart of God. Don't forget it. You say, well, he brought judgment, especially in the Old Testament. Yes, he did. And he's going to bring judgment in the future. And those things in the Old Testament was not the first time those people committed a sin. It was usually generations of, of just concentrated evil. Those people sacrificed their kids in the fire, some of them. And they do that generations. And finally, that just builds up. He, he made a system, folks. And he causes stuff like this. 
He made the system that if you do good long enough, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and the blessing gets larger and larger. If you do evil long enough, it just gets larger and larger and larger and will finally take you out. You can read that about the way he gave the, the promised land to the children of Israel. And when he was promising it to Abraham, 430 years before the kids, his kids got it, he said, this is going to be yours, but it's not going to be yours now because the iniquity, that's the sinfulness. King James, the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. But it was filling up. And after the chi- and finally, the land just regurgitated. The, the scripture uses this figure, just regurgitated the people out. He didn't send his people in there just to slaughter innocent people and, oh, it's just awful. God caught God doing bad stuff again. Those people were awful. And if babies died in that thing, at least they had a chance to be saved because they grew up to accountability. They were going to become like their family, which was awful. Then his own people just... By the way, if you don't know the word recalcitrant, because this is the third time in this service I've used it. Look, just read through the, the history of the children of Israel and their refusal to follow God, and you get a working definition of recalcitrance. Now, that's, that's the noun form. I've been using the adjectival form. Does that impress you? It does me. I could even pronounce it. But anyway... Um, after these people came in and were so stubbornly disobedient to God, after generations and generations and generations, the land vomited them out. Now, that doesn't look like when they commit a sin, God goes, pow, told you not to do that once. He sends prophets and prophets and helpers and people pleading for repentance and then the next generation he does the same thing and after a few generations the land finally says that's enough and and pop and they're gone so be really careful about what you attribute to God and how you attribute it a judgment's a very real deal you will reap what you sow be glad it's not instantly or you'd all be dead. I'd be the only one alive. <laughs> At least one of us would be alive. To lie again. No, I mean, it's a, but you, you, you get the message. You get the message. Okay, so we are managers now of this stuff. Be, first of all, be really careful what you attribute to God. I think we, maybe we made that point. And then be really careful about how you change any kind of relationship. Throwing people away, no, to, some, to someone or some group. Because you see, God has us, and I want you to get this, church. God does not have us here to have this little tiny holy club that we just, oh, it's about me and it's about my family and... It's about my ego, and it's about my ministry. And the quiver voices means I'm spiritual. Hello. 
we are here to find people in the body of Christ who know better and the wheels fall off. We are here to heal them. Do not approve of their sin. Never call wrong right. Okay? But heal the sinner. Somebody did you. Heal them. And if you don't have any kind of on-hands relationship with them, hands-on relationship is what I'm trying to say, then do it in your prayer closet. You're probably more powerful there than you are in person anyway. Because then we're dealing with God's power, not ours. Heal them. You find people outside the church who are just dirty, rotten sinners. Heal them. What are we here for? Why do we live? This is not heaven. Don't feather your nest here. Send stuff over and let Jesus do the nest feathering thing. Let's keep our work boots on in the kingdom of God and work. Good. I could go on a while. <laughs> and you know that. <clears throat> and the thing that is, is, is inspiring to me that um, to go on a while, some of you, this just doesn't fit. You, you've gotten this together, and any time I or anyone else gets out of line, you're over there trying to fix us in the kingdom of God. Not some ego thing, not some pitiful fleshly manipulation, but real healing. I love that. Thank you for being that way. And the rest of us need this, but I'm, I'm, I'll say it again. If Jesus waits to come, I doubtless will say it again. And I, today I want us to just kind of lift our hearts and say, God, I thank you that you put me in a place that has a sense of respect and awe as far as accountability before you and before me of the way your money that we give to you is managed. I, th I want us to do that. I want, you, I want you to just become aware of how we are about money in this place and the accountability that we go through and how hard I'm sure there are criminals that could steal from us because they are, they are brilliant and so forth. But I, I don't know how to do it. I don't want to. But if I knew that there was a way to steal from us, you see, I am obligated to shut that door on that thing. And I will do it. You can trust me. I won't have to shut it. I can tell John and he'll shut it. Or any of the guys and gals that handle this money because we are committed to the work of God and, and accountability. I, am, I want us today, if you're not one of these giver persons that I described in point number two, I want you to thank God for those among us. Because they, they make great contributions materially and they make great contributions as far as role models for how to do money. And then in this third part, I get really, really agitated. But you don't believe that. About people who mismanage people's pain, people's tragedy, and they take sides or they take up offenses or they get really, really angry at a person who is just, just a poor lost soul. 
I mean, you expect unbelievers to not sin. But anyway, I want us to, to say, and all of us, of course, are in that point. And I want us to, to take that to the Lord as a point of joy and say, Lord, thank you that when you say manage this well, you come in with your grace and your strength to make it happen in me that I can manage it. It hurts. I don't like it. It's a lot of trouble. Uh, if you're asking me to sign up for this again, I'm not going to sign up, but I know I don't have to. If I need it, it's going to come to me anyway. And thank you that you're like that, Father. He is perfect. And his goal in the good, the bad, and the indifferent is to get Jesus Christ formed in you so that you look just like our older brother who died for us. And when you stand before God, you ever hear about the bride of Christ in the scripture? You're in that bride, and we, we look at ourselves and we think, oh my goodness, I'm at best a street person. And the Heavenly Father is bringing a street woman to give to his son who is, who is the pure one. No, no. This bride will have been made as pure as the groom. It's not a mismatch. Well, you say that'll never happen or else I won't be in it. I'm glad you recognize that. Recognize a second point. That as true as that is if it's up to you, the Holy Spirit is not being herniated. If you don't know what that means, he is not being strained to get you holy. You say, I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know either. I know you and I agree with you. Only, I don't agree with you because I know a little bit about his power and he is able. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are so glad that you have brought us in as partners and help and, and